you're going through a season. Don't get discouraged. Don't throw in the towel. Plug on. Many times, and, and pruning is not a bad thing. Uh, Dr. Charles Stanley, years ago, uh, right after he went to First Baptist Church, Atlanta, uh, he was at a school that I went to in the mountains of North Carolina, and we were walking across campus one day, and Dr. Stanley told me, he said, uh, when I went to, he was an assistant at First Baptist, and then when Dr. McLean retired, many of you may remember this, uh, Dr. Stanley took over as the pastor. He had 35 deacons to resign at one time. Uh, the church, it looked like he was going to shut down. And he told me, he says, we got down to 500 members. He said, now that sounds like a crowd to you. He said, but First Baptist Atlanta, Georgia, that's a skeleton group. But I'll tell you what, brother, when God turned it, it was amazing how it grew. And he said the way God encouraged him, he was standing in his office one day, so discouraged, so discouraged. And if you've ever been to Western North Carolina, there's a lot of apple orchards up there. And uh, I used to watch these farmers do this. They, they would prune those trees. And sometimes it looked like they were, to my, as far as what I could see, it looked like they'd been killed. It. Uh, they would prune those trees, and I thought, wow, they'll never bear another apple. But they said it was the key to growth. And that God does that in churches. It's not a bad thing. So be encouraged, Theresa. Go out and win people to Jesus. Let God use you. And uh, until Jesus comes, the best days are up ahead. So keep on keeping on. And uh, let's pray before we read the Scriptures. Father, we thank you tonight for what we've uh, enjoyed this week, seeing these dear people again and Thank you for this church, what it stood for all these years. Thank you for Herbert, he and Debbie, and God, thank you for their friendship, their love, and the way that he has served as a pastor in this area. Pray you continue to bless him and bless this church. Give them wisdom and guidance in the days to come. And I ask you now to just simply anoint your word and speak tonight to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures tonight, I want you to turn with me my last few thoughts on Romans chapter 5, the benefits of being a believer. Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at basically the first two verses, but I want us to uh, read through verse 11 just to kind of see how it ties in. But uh, Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Can you believe that statement? We glory in tribulation. That just doesn't sound right, does it? We glory in tribulation, also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But look at this statement. But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
And this verse is the one that God literally changed my life years ago as a believer, as a Christian, as a preacher. This verse God used. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, watch this now, this is it, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Thank God for that. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Um, Psalm 103 says, forget not all of his benefits. There's a lot of benefits in being a true believer. A lot of things come through the turf just by coming to know Jesus Christ in our life. I know, I don't think any of you know this guy, Gene McComb. Uh, Gene is just Gene. You just have to love him like he is or you'll just get disgusted. But uh, Gene is Gene. And uh, he's, he's as wide open as a man can be. And he travels around preaching the Word of God. And Gene was on an airplane one day going to a meeting. And um, when he got there and landed, he was just kind of sitting there waiting for everybody to get out of his way and so he could get up and get his stuff. And uh, just about everybody had gotten off the plane. And he reached over the overhead compartment there to get his bag. And he failed to pack of something. And Gene pulled it to the front and it was a whole stack of money. In fact, it was two stacks, and he kind of pushed it back, and he let everybody get off the plane, and he took those two packs of money uh, to the pilot, and he said, look, I found this back there in the overhead compartment. He said, what do you think I ought to do? He said, well, we need to take it to a certain office and file a report, and he said uh, the pilot went with him, and they walked in this office, and the guy got all the information, and, and uh, he sold him. He said, now, if uh, no one claims this, it's yours. And uh, Gene was thinking, man, I hope nobody don't show up, you know. And uh, uh, he, he was, uh, while they were standing there talking, the door opened. The guy was shabby, shabby, just shaggy dressed and looking. And, and uh, he said, I left some money on the airplane. Did anybody turn it in? He said specifically, how much are you talking about? He said $20,000 in two packs. The guy gave him the money and told him to sign a paper. He'd gotten it and uh, didn't ever say thank you. Not a, not a thank you for getting the money. He walked out the door and went his way. Listen to what Gene said. Gene said that he left that office that day, went out and got in a cab to go to his motel room. And Gene said when he got in the cab, the devil got in there with him. And uh, he said the devil told him, said, you're nothing but an idiot. He said, you know, that was dirty money. That was drug money. And you could have used it for your family. You're just a complete idiot, Gene. That's all you are is an idiot. And Gene said at that moment, the Spirit of God just really moved on his heart and said, uh, Gene, you need to remember what you have because of me. And Gene said he began to think about salvation and security and peace and joy and love, and, and he got so happy. He just said out loud to the devil, Will you see what I've got? Well, that cab driver, they riding down the road, and he knew one of else in the car. <laughs> and uh, he said, Hey, buddy, what's that you said? He said, I won't talk to you. I was talking to the devil. And uh, he said the rest of the trip, he could see one eye and that he was watching him, you know. But um, we need to remember the benefits of being a believer. Uh, there are so many folks. And listen, there are people galore all in this community that need Jesus Christ. And you guys, along with the pastor, can win those to Jesus. You can do it. Uh, you can see people come to Christ here in this community just by being the person God wants you to be. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 
He said, he became all things to whatever people he was dealing with. To the Jew, he became a Jew. To those under the law, under the law. Those without the law, without the law. To the weak, whoever it was, he learned to love people and share the gospel of Christ. I heard about a guy one night was in a bar. And he saw the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen in his life. And man, he thought, wow, I didn't know women were that beautiful. And he decided to make a move. You ever done that? You guys are going to make your move now. And he walked over to that lady and he said, um, what kind of a man might you be interested in? She said, well, sometimes I'd just like to date an Indian. They're usually tall, dark, and handsome. And she said, sometimes I like to date a Jew. They're usually intellectual and rich. He said, and sometimes, she said, sometimes I like to date a macho man. The guy that rides around with a, a shotgun in the window and a dog in the back. She said, and what might your name be? He said, my name is Geronimo Goldberg, and most of my friends call me Bubba. <laughs> He's covering all bases. Well, God wants us to be his people. Let him use us for his glory. Now, I want you to notice several things in these, these verses here that I'll tell you what. Romans speaks. Uh, this is a book that I believe you could spend the rest of your life. Just pick out your chapter and spend the rest of your life on it. But I want you to notice a few things in this that I pray God will use. Number one, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, I want you to notice the position of the believer. Uh, therefore, being justified by faith. Justified. You want to hear what the atonement is? Look at verse 8 again. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the atonement right there. And our position in Christ. Just think about this. We've heard these words sometimes so many times we, we lose the meaning and the thrill of it. To be justified. You understand what that means? To be justified in Christ. Uh, one of the greatest, I think, and in fact, I have a sermon I preach, The Saint and the Ship. It's on Noah. And if you want to do a good study, uh, all through the Old Testament, there are so many stories and pictures about Jesus Christ that's illustrated in those old stories. And I think one of the greatest in the Bible is Noah's Ark. Uh, there are so many things about that ark. In uh, Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 there, when God told Noah exactly the, the size to build that ark. And I recently read an article. Uh, it's been less than six months ago, that said still the most perfect seagoing vessel is the size that God gave Noah to build that ark. Isn't that amazing? Uh, God's ahead of the time, so far ahead of the time, we, it's uh, hard to understand that. But yet he gave Noah specific instructions about building the ark. Uh, there was one window. You know where it was? It was in the roof. Isn't that amazing? Uh, in the middle of a storm and judgment, God wanted his people to look one way. Look up. Keep looking up, brother. That's what the Word of God says. Look up, brother. Redemption draweth nigh. Isn't that something? And uh, the Word of God says also there was one door. Jesus said, I am the door. That door illustrated Jesus Christ. In Romans, uh, Genesis chapter 7, there's something that's always amazed me. Uh, I'll give you a Bible question tonight. When God, in Genesis chapter 7, did he tell Noah to go in the ark, or did he say, come in the ark? He said, come in. God was already in there. And you see, that's, God was inside the ark, and he told Noah, come in. He didn't say, Noah, you ought to go in. That's like somebody telling somebody else to go to church. 
A dad is saying to his kids, y'all don't go to church, he doesn't go. No, God was in the ark, and God says, come in the ark. And there were three levels. The Bible says three floors in that ark. It represents what sin is and how we are delivered from the powers of sin. We are delivered from the penalty of sin, that's salvation. We are delivered from the power of sin in daily life. And one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin in glory. And the ark represents that in the three floors that God told Noah to build when he built the thing. But the most amazing thing to me that represents the atonement of the ark is the fact that it was made out of wood. Isn't that amazing? God told Noah exactly what to use to prepare that ark, and he told him to use wood. Why wood? Because wood used to be a tree that was alive and it was cut down. And God used something that had died in order to preserve man from the judgment. That wood stood between Noah and the judgment of God. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he, he finished the atonement. He completed what he came to do. And the Word of God says that when we receive him into our life, the word the Scriptures use is the word justified. We are justified because of him, just as if I've never sinned. That's amazing to even think about that. How could a holy, righteous, sovereign God look at us as sinners? And the Bible says in verse 8, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he loved us before we ever loved him. Isn't that amazing? That God loves sinners. We don't have to wonder. We know from the Scriptures God loves sinners. And the Scripture says when we choose to trust him, we're justified. I had a, a dear friend. I'd been with him in meetings over the years. And he called me one day and he said, look, he said, I want you to come to my church and go with me on a visit. And I, I said, yeah, I'll go. And I, so I drove to where he lived and got with him. We went down to a place to visit him. And the guy was 82 years old at that time. And he told me on the way down there, I didn't know the fellow. He told me, he said, I've been in this guy's home many times. He'll admit he's lost. He says he wants to get saved. He said, but every time when we get right to the point of him asking Jesus in his heart, he'll say, I'll wait till another time. He said, go with me. I want you to talk to him. We went in there and sat down, and I honestly believe God just opened my eyes to see something that he felt a little awkward about. And we were sitting there, and then the pastor asked me to share with him. I just sat there and just simply shared with him basically what I had with you about how Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to come and die on the cross and he rose from the dead. And the scripture says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I told him, I said, sir, I said, if you are at a place in your life that you'd like to ask Jesus in your heart, here's what I'd like to do. I'll pray with you, but I'll tell you what to say if you'd like to do that. He said, I sure would. Would you do that? And that old man asked Jesus in his heart. You know what he was hung up on? He felt like he would be pushed away or not received because he didn't know exactly what to say. Isn't that amazing? And I saw that old fellow give his heart to Jesus that day because it, the pressure was relieved. It's not about magic words. Man, I didn't have no magic words, but I just saw in this old fellow's life he felt awkward about doing it and he didn't want to say something in front of the pastor that would be embarrassing. But when he was told what to say, and I asked him, I told him, I said, look, sir, I want you to just make this your prayer. As you say these words, I want you in your mind to think about what you're saying, and you, it's your prayer, I'm going to just tell you what to say. And he was so happy about that. And folks, listen, when people began to see, as we talked to them about the Lord, and they began to see what, it's, what it means 
to be justified. It'll thrill the human heart. Isn't that good? God, help us to understand that, to see what a wonderful God that we, we serve, a God that has made it possible that we as sinners can, in fact, be justified because of Christ. Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, he is known in history as being one of the greatest scientists that ever lived. Uh, he taught at Cambridge University from about 1669 to 1701. It was over about 30 years there that he taught math. He was a mathematician and uh, just a brilliant guy. He was also a Christian. And Sir Isaac Newton, he's the one today that we owe a lot of credit to as far as the, the explaining the motion and behavior of the planets. He, he just did, devoted his whole life in study of that stuff. We can go to Google now. Most of Google's got it all. But we go back to where it really started. It was Sir Isaac Newton that got this information together and made it available so we could learn. Well, Sir Isaac Newton was a very faithful, radiant Christian. He loved Jesus. And he had a friend that claimed to be an atheist. And I know that people say they're atheists, but I don't believe there is such a thing as an atheist. Brother, you get down between the sheets at night, you know he's real. When you have to face yourself, you begin to realize the reality of God and people come to their senses. But the Word of God says that uh, we have the privilege to call on them and be saved if we're willing to believe. Well, this atheist friend, he would say many times, he said, I don't believe it, Isaac. He said, I just don't believe it. I don't believe God created this universe. It just happened. Now listen. You know what some people teach you that evolution is? An explosion of nothing instigated by no one created everything. You call that intelligence? That's about as dumb as it gets as far as I'm concerned. But Sir Isaac Newton was a brilliant guy, and he one day had this atheist friend to drop by. He didn't know Isaac Newton had done this. But he had made a clock, kind of a clock rotating uh, model of the universe. And he had it in his, his study where he served a lot, studied. And uh, this atheist friend came to visit uh, Mr. Newton, and he asked him to, they went into his study. And when he saw that model, he was absolutely blown away. He said, wow, man. He said, where did you get this? Who made this? And Sir Isaac Newton said, nobody. He said, I just walked in one day, and there it was. I don't know how it happened. He got his attention. Isn't that something? Our position, the believer's position, we're justified. Thank God for that. Isn't that good? We're justified, the scriptures there. But I want you to notice something else. Word of God says not only are we justified, but the believer's peace. Not only the believer's position, but the believer's peace. Look what it says. We have peace with God. Do you believe that? Peace with God. Somebody says, well, I didn't know I had a problem with God. If you're lost, you don't have peace with God. Can you imagine facing a holy God and we're guilty of his death, his son's death, except we come to repentance and ask him to receive us and bless us with salvation. We are guilty of the murder of God's son. God have mercy on anyone that leaves here without him. But the Bible says we have the peace with God when we trust Jesus. Isn't that good? 
I so thank God for that. I, I think the most fascinating thing in my life when I came to know Christ as a young G.I. long ago, to be able to lay down at night and have peace. I was tormented in my mind. There was so much guilt. And yet when he came into my life, a lot of it I didn't understand and I still don't understand it. But I know now through the authority of God's word that when we trust him, he died our death. It's like a woman that is with child. Uh, the word of God says that when salvation is me in Jesus, sanctification is Jesus in me. You see that? When we receive Christ, when we pray and say, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord. I don't care who the sinner is. I don't care what they've done. God's word says that we are baptized into the body of Christ. Being in Jesus is salvation. But Jesus also comes into me. That's sanctification. And the word of God says, because of his presence, I have peace with God. Thank God for that. God help us to understand that, folks. What a blessing it is to have the peace with God. But the Bible also says in Philippians chapter 4, we can have the peace of God on a daily basis. Is that good? The peace of God. We're living in a world that's so full of trouble. I, I dread the world that my grandkids are going to have to grow up in. Except there is a mighty revival that sweeps our land. And I pray for that to happen. I believe it can happen. And I pray that churches and Christian people across our land, starting with Theresa, will truly allow the spirit of revival to grip our hearts and that God might use us in a way like never before. And one way that is so attractive to a world that is so troubled is allowing the peace of God to be a part of us on a daily basis. There are thousands and thousands of people that are daily reading the astrology charts and they're turning to the occult. They're turning to different things, trying to find peace in this life. I read the other day where the American Medical Association says that right now depression is the fourth leading disease and it's quickly approaching to be next to heart disease. Depression. People that are under the gun in this world, they're perplexed. The Bible says they're full of confusion and yet in Christ we can have the peace of God. Isn't that an amazing thing? I see people in all kinds of circumstances and sometimes I, I, I wonder myself, how in the world do they bear it? How do they go through it? And yet God is able to give us the peace. That's a wonderful thing. How many tonight are trying to find it in a pill or a bottle and it doesn't come there? It's only in Christ. And God help us to recapture that love, that joy that we have had and known in our life that he might truly be our peace on a daily basis. But I want you to notice something else. Look what it says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access. This is the believer's privilege. The believer's position, justification, the believer's peace, and then the believer's privilege. We have access. Access. Look, think about what that's saying. The scripture says we have access by faith into this grace. Years ago, 
when England had a king, not a queen, as he is now. There was a little boy at Buckingham Palace. He wanted to get in to see the king. He was troubled about something. But every time he walked up to the gates at Buckingham Palace, the soldier stood in his way. He could not get in. You can't go in. And the little fellow was so brokenhearted, he went over and sat by the gate of Buckingham Palace and cried. A little bit later, a young man walked up to him and he said, Son, why are you crying? He said, I want to get in and see the king, and they won't let me in. He reached out his hand, took the little boy's hand. When he walked up in front of the soldiers, instead of standing in his way, they saluted it was the king's son, the Prince of Wales. And the king's son took him to the throne to see the king himself. That's exactly how it happens in our life. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through some ritual. It's through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says we have access. See that? We have. It doesn't say we might have. It says by whom also. By whom? The person of Jesus Christ. We have access into the presence of the king himself. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. God wants to hear from you and uh, call out to him in faith, believing and trusting him as, as Lord of your life. Uh, but notice also the believer's portion. The Bible says not only do we have access. You know, I, I'm, I'm convinced there are multitudes of people that are longing for this. <clears throat> Dr. O.S. Hawkins, many of you I'm sure you know the name anyway, maybe you've read his books, uh, he's the head of the annuity board, CEO of it. He used to pastor. He pastored many churches. The last church he pastored was in Florida. I think he's a great man of God. I love to hear him speak. Not many preachers can write and preach. He can do them both. He can do it all. And uh, Dr. Hawkins said, was telling about a young man that uh, came to faith in Christ there at his church there in Florida. And uh, he told him as they talked afterwards, the young man prayed to receive Jesus in his life. And he told him, he said, every night of my life, I don't know how long, he said, I've, been, I've gone to the bars in the city. And uh, Dr. Hawkins asked him, are you a heavy drinker? He said, I've never drink. And you go to bars? He said, I go every night. He said, I go in there just to hear other people talking, just to hear the voice, so I'm so lonely. And somebody in Dr. Hawkins' church had an opportunity to invite him to church and witness to him, and he came and received Jesus into his life. And Dr. Hawkins told him, you have access now to the king himself. Romans 5 guarantees it. Isn't that good? To know that we, no matter who you are, uh, you have access to the king himself. And uh, what a privilege it is. Make use of it, Theresa. Have access to the king himself. And let God use you as an individual for his glory. But I want you to notice something else here. Not only the believer's position and peace and privilege, the believer's portion. Look what it says there in verse 2. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. There's a lot of people that have fallen, isn't it? And do you know what we need to realize? When we see somebody enslaved by sin, there I am, except by God's grace. We don't have a right to look down on anybody. We don't have a right to make ourselves believe that we're better than anyone else. We're not. It's by the grace of God. Isn't that good? By God's grace. Well, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved. It doesn't say a little grace and a little good works. It says by grace. Grace is something that's undeserved. God gives me something I do not deserve. That's the grace of God. 
And God wants us to make use of this grace in our life. The Bible says it is sufficient for all of our needs. I love the story in the Old Testament of Mephibosheth. He was a crippled boy. The Bible says that he was Jonathan, the king, King Saul's son. So King Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son. And uh, the Word of God says in those days, if you're familiar with the Scriptures, when war was going on and the enemy was closing in and the babysitter took up little Mephibosheth to run for their life, to get away from the enemy that was coming. And the Word of God says he fell and he was a cripple the rest of his life. Something happened in that fall and he was crippled up the rest of his life. The Word of God says that one day as years goes on, David is looking back in his mind to the people who have been a blessing to him over the years. He and Jonathan were tight. They were close. They were like brothers. They loved each other so much. And as David began to remember back people that had been such a blessing to him, now David, is the, he's the big, the king of the, of the whole world, basically. And as he was remembering these people, he remembers somebody that was very special to him, Jonathan. And Jonathan is now dead. Saul is dead. The years have passed. And David calls in kind of what we would think of as the FBI and the CIA, and he said, I want to know who's left of the house of Jonathan. And they said, well, he's got a boy that's still living, but he's crippled. They thought when they told David he was crippled, that he said, well, let's just leave it alone. But they didn't know the king's heart. And the word of God says that he sent those soldiers down into the, what we would call the ghetto. You read in the scriptures, it, it makes it clear. It was kind of like the ghetto of that day. And the Bible says when the soldiers went down to get him, can you imagine Mephibosheth as a cripple, long forgotten, no longer living in the palace, living in a shack, has no way to make a living himself, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. Mephibosheth! Who's there? The king's soldiers. Can you, can you imagine what he thought? Surely this is a joke. Somebody's mad at me. And the word of God says they came in and they said, The king wants your audience. He wants you in his presence. Isn't that something? That's what the Holy Spirit does when he knocks at our door. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on some of you's door tonight. You just need to get up and open it. You might be here as a believer, and coming to church is nothing more than a mechanical exercise to you. Go reading the Word of God. You've lost that joy, that thrill of serving Christ. And tonight, God's going to knock on your door. You've got to be willing by faith to open the door and allow Him in a new and fresh way to use your life. His grace is sufficient. R.T. Kendall, Dr. R.T. Kendall, he's just recently, I think, retired from Westminster in, in England, in London. And uh, when they first moved to, uh, to London for him to pastor that church, his little boy, R.T., uh, uh, T.R., it was R.T. is the dad, R.T. is the, the kid, and he uh, started a new school in a big city. little fellow was nervous. He wasn't bad. I think he was nine years old. And Dr. Kendall said that uh, he took him to school that morning, and the little fellow was so nervous. Uh, brand new city, even a new country. He came from here to live over there. They extended the call for him to come as a pastor. And Dr. Kendall said that when he drove up, drove up in front of the school that morning, the little fellow was just sitting there, and he was so nervous, he started crying. He said, Dad, I just don't want to go in. And um, Dr. Kendall told him, he said, Son, I want you to hear me. He said, I know you love Jesus. He said, I do, Daddy. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home, 
And I'm going to pray all day for you. And God's going to take care of you. He said, I want you to understand, when you go in the schoolhouse, I want you to remember, Daddy's home right now praying for me. And I promise you I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all day long. I'm going to pray for you. And God's going to give you the grace, son. And that little fella got out of that car. He went in that schoolhouse and he stayed all day. You know what happened? The grace of God. God's grace met his need. And God wants us to understand that whatever the needs we have, he says his grace is sufficient. He didn't say it might be. He said my grace is sufficient for whatever we have to face in our life. It's sufficient for, for Theresa and it's sufficient for every person here. We don't know what we're going to have to go through. None of us know what we're going to have to face. But don't let pride cause you to resist the grace of God. I heard about an old lion one day. He got to fill in his oats, and he'd heard all the stories about being king of the jungle. And uh, he got up that morning feeling pretty good about himself. And he walked out in the jungle, and he was filling his oats, and he saw a bear. He said, hey, bear, who's king of the jungle? He said, you are, Mr. Lion. He said, don't you forget it. And he was feeling good. He saw a tiger. He said, hey, tiger, who's king in the jungle? He said, you are, Mr. Lion, you are. He said, yeah, don't you forget it. Walked on a ways and he saw an elephant. He said, hey, elephant, who's king in the jungle? And that old elephant wrapped his trunk around him and slammed him up against a tree and slammed him against the ground and dunked him down in the river and then threw him on the ground. The lion said, because you don't know the answer, ain't no need to get mean about it. <laughs> now listen, temper gets us into trouble, but pride keeps us there. You understand that? Every, I don't care, I don't care what couple, I don't care what home, you're going to have conflict. Is that true? I heard a man one day, this is the honest truth. I was preaching revival there. We were standing on the front door of the steps. And he said, me and my wife been married 25 years, never had an argument. I stepped back. I thought, God's going to kill him. He's the biggest liar I've ever seen. <laughs> well, brother, we are going to have conflict. And there are three ways to deal with conflict. Listen to me. You can clam up. That's pouting. That's what, Na uh, you remember in the scriptures when Ahab did that, when he wanted Nabal's vineyard, Nabal wouldn't sell it. And the Bible says he went and laid on his bed. The story's in the scriptures that he pouted. That's clamming up. You can clam up. Somebody said, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> now, you know good and well there's something wrong. You can blow up. Most Baptists don't smoke. They just blow up. <laughs> and um, you can blow up. Blow up intensifies the problem. That's when we start throwing words at each other like missiles. So we have a choice. We can clam up, we can blow up, or we can wise up. And God give us uh, the wisdom to understand how we need to wise up. And do what? And depend on the grace of God. The grace of God. It is available. He has made it available that we as his children can honor him. Is that good?
Uh, we, sometimes God is working through the trials in ways that we just don't understand. Uh, I don't know how many of you like the movie. My wife literally hates this movie, but I just, I love it. Old Brother, Where Are Thou? You ever seen that movie? She thinks it's the greatest thing that ever was, and I love it. I just love to watch it. And, uh, but the story, I don't know if you know this or not, I, it's a true story. Uh, the guy, his name was James Carter. In 1959, he was on a chain gang in Mississippi. Uh, he had done something, just kind of like you see road gangs out on the highway working, and not a, like for felons or whatever, but he'd done something. He's on this chain gang, 1959. And one day while they were out on the road working, uh, he, just to kind of get through the day, he knew an old song, and he taught some of the other fellows out there on that road gang, Poe Lazarus. And uh, they started singing. He taught them the words, and while they were out there cutting weeds or whatever they was doing, they were singing Poe Lazarus. And uh, on Sunday, when other people could come to the little prison camp to visit the loved ones, uh, they were practicing. Him and some of the other fellows were practicing, and one of the people that came to visit somebody at the prison, had some kind, of a, some kind of a recorder and recorded that song, Poe Lazarus. In 1999, uh, the guy that made the soundtrack for Old Brother, Where Art Thou? Somehow, somebody found that song, those prisoners sung back in 1959, and made it the lead song on the soundtrack for Old Brother, Where Art Thou? And Mr. Carter had forgotten about it. And one day, somebody came to his door. Two guys knocked at his door. He went to the door, and they said, it was he must have called it. He said, yes. And they gave him a check for $20,000. The thing had took off so surprisingly. And after that, he got hundreds of more dollars, and in fact, even thousands of dollars, because of a song that he didn't even remember. And yet, God used the hard times of being on the road gang and blessed his life in such a special way. you're going through hard times tonight, don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. Choose to trust Him. Choose to believe in Him. Cling to His words in the Scriptures, things He says He'll do. He says He'll give grace that is sufficient. And then I want you to notice something else He says, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Folks, we've got a future. Isn't that good? Somebody might push a button and blow the world up, but I'll tell you what, for the Christian, it doesn't end. We have got a home in glory. Jesus told us, I love these words in John chapter 14, when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Think about this. That was hours before Jesus died. Hours. I'm not talking about days and months. I'm talking about hours before our Lord would die on the cross. He knew he came to die. And then when he got those disciples together, they were scared to death. They had seen the tide of public opinion turn against Jesus. They knew they were living in a dark, serious time and something terrible was about to happen. And Jesus said, fellas, listen to me. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I've prepared a place. Now listen to a statement he makes in that passage. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I love that. Have you ever been with somebody that's dying? If they're going to ever be honest in their life, they'll be honest then. Jesus knew that death was close. And he said to his disciples, Fellas, 
I've never lied to you before, and I'm not lying to you now. There's a place called heaven. When you go to the graveyard, it hurts, doesn't it? It breaks your heart. But the thing that will bring joy to your heart is to remember the words of our Lord. There's a place that God has prepared. And those who are justified have a room. Isn't that good? We have access and we are to rejoice. How in the world can you rejoice in a world that has gone crazy? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hallelujah. That is so wonderful. And then I want you to notice, I want you to jump over just a few verses. I want you to see something. And the Word of God says that, verse 5, look at this, And hope makes not ashamed, because, this to this now, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. The Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our heart. Listen, I know there's a bunch of hard-headed folk in every church. I know. I believe sometimes I've gotten to places that sometimes my 20 years at, at Living Word and 20 years at another church, I felt like at times that every screwball that went through Lynchburg joined my church. And uh, I thought, God, why would you send them here? Uh, it's, it's not easy to love folks sometimes. But the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit of God will shed abroad in our heart the love of God. You can love the unlovely. You can love people that you don't think you can love. When we choose to believe God and we allow the Holy Spirit of God to shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. I was standing at the front one Sunday morning at the morning service. and A lady walked up to me, one of the greatest ladies I've ever known. She is absolutely a tremendous lady. I, I, just, I, I just thank God for her. She's as faithful as clockwork. And I didn't know what was going on. But she walked down the aisle that Sunday morning and she walked up to me and she said, I hate my son-in-law. What do you do? Well, praise the Lord, just hate him. <laughs> I asked her a question. I said, Doris, I want to ask you one question. What? Does Jesus love him? Well, yes. That's the way she said it. I said, then he can make you love him by letting him love him through you. And if that's not true, the Bible is a lie. You ought to have seen how God melted her spirit. That daughter and her son-in-law has a happy home tonight. Because God saw him through the rough time. It says the Holy Spirit will shed abroad in our heart the love of God. That's the passion of the Christian. Isn't that good? Life is too short to go through life being bitter and hating one another, folk. Love each other. And then the Christian's power. Look at this. What God's Word says in verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, listen, we shall be saved by His life. I don't know of a greater scripture in the Bible for me personally. Saved by His life. We could spend a week on that one statement. Saved 
by his life. I want to ask you something. Just suppose I put a glove up here tonight. I said, glove, pick his Bible up. I told you to pick it up. What if I cuss a little bit? Pick it up. Just lays there and looks at me. But if I put my hand in the glove, it can do what it couldn't do before. The glove is incapable of doing what I ask it to do. Now watch this. We sometimes as parents try to raise kids on a yell and a cuss. And it's like trying to drive a car honking the horn. It doesn't work. Our relationship with each other in the church. People are different. God didn't make us the same. Don't you thank God for that? I thank God we're different. But he wants us to learn that saved by his life, he's in me. And if I will permit it and humble myself, it's like the hand and glove where he will enable me to do what I can't do in my own strength. I love baseball. If you don't love baseball, God help you to repent. I just love baseball. I played it as long as I could see. Um, I want to share something with you. And I want you to do this tonight. I'm, we're ending here. But I want you to do it in this community. Jackie Robinson was the first black man to play Major League Baseball, played with the Brooklyn Dodgers. You can only imagine what he faced. Uh, pitchers threw at him. Base runners tried to spike him. He received cards and letters, and he was humiliated. He was cursed, made fun of. And one day in Cincinnati, it all came to the peak, it seemed like. He was so down, he was about to give up, and he made an error on second base. That's where he played. Well, when he made that error, it seemed like a, an avalanche of cursing and nasty words that were said. And that was a southern boy. Played shortstop. His name was Pee Wee Reese. And Pee Wee Reese called time. And he walked over there and did one simple thing. He put his hand around the shoulder of Jackie Robinson. And the fans grew quiet. They didn't say any other things that they'd been saying. Jackie Robinson testified shortly after that, that an arm around his shoulder saved his career. When my daddy died, we were standing on the back side of the house and a guy came out of the yard and he put his hand around my shoulder. I was a young lad of 13 years old, scared to death. My breadwinner was gone. I didn't know how God was going to take care of things. At that time, I was not a Christian. But that guy's arm around my shoulder helped me to get through the day. Folks, there are people here in Chubb Lake area. They need somebody to walk in their life from this church and love them and put an arm around their shoulder and tell them about Jesus. Will you do it? Tonight, will you let God truly fill you afresh and use you for his glory? Pastor, would you come as we sing as the Spirit of God would speak to your heart?
If you're here with that, Christ. Don't leave here with that, Christ. Don't leave here lost. We are one breath from eternity. One breath. We don't know where death is, but he's on our trail. But don't leave here and not be ready. If you're here and you need a church home, I don't know where you're going to find any better. But I'm speaking to you, specialist Christians tonight, the benefits of being a believer. I want you to think about it again and give you all to him. Will you do it? May we stand.